Chris Hahn here on the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. We don't just talk about progressive politics. We tell you how to win because that's what being an aggressive progressive is. Check us out every Tuesday. New episodes on Pandora, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't miss a week. The Aggressive Progressive Podcast with Chris Hahn. are now listening to Bigfoot and Beyond, featuring the OG bad boys of Bigfoot, the Dr. Heckle and Mr. Jive of Squatchology, the Chip and Dale of Bigfoot, and I'm not talking about the cartoon. Please welcome your hosts, the Bigfoot celebrity couple, Biff Clobo, better known as Cliff Berrickman and James Bobo Fay. Cliff. Bobo, how are you doing today? I'm doing better. I got some hope. I'm looking at the ends in sight. Yeah, 2020 will soon be hindsight, just like everybody says it is. Yeah, I mean, it's been the dumpster fire year of all years, but there's still some you know positive things to it. So I guess you always got to focus on the positive. Yeah, and of course, by the time this comes out, I think it is 2021. So our listeners made it through alive. <laughs> yeah, barely. Yeah, today is what uh, we happen to be recording, a little behind the curtain here. We're recording on December 28th. Um, 2020. So we still have three more days um, of this of this hogwash before Bobo and I are out of this. But all the listeners actually made it out alive. Congratulations to you! Yeah, we started off 2020. The first uh, guest we had on Bigfoot and Beyond was Matt Moneymaker, and that seemed to be almost like an omen, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, and you know Matt's a great guest because uh, he does like to talk and he knows an awful lot about Bigfoot in general. In fact, I think that uh, Matt is honestly, one of the more underrated Bigfooters um, because Matt is so confident and uh, um, just brazen in the what, what he believes to be true. A lot of times his personality turns people off, but um, he has a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience. And I think it was really cool that he was kind enough to come on the podcast because he doesn't do a lot of podcasts. Right. The moneymaker personality traits, the same things that can alienate people, like can drive people nuts, which it's done to us in the past. But his tenacity and just self-assuredness and confidence, I mean, you need that to, to do what he does, like running the world's biggest Bigfoot organization for 25 years. And, you know, it's, it's, it's obviously had its flaws and problems, but it's still going and it's still the biggest reserve of data, you know, reports. And I mean, you got to give him credit for all that. Yeah, yeah. And if you don't give Matt credit, that's just because you're bitter. And that's the only explanation for it, because there is no other database that holds a candle to what Matt has put together. Uh, and and as he puts it out there in the public for everyone. And you, you may not notice there's no advertisements on the BFRO. There's nothing like that. Yeah, he runs expeditions and he sells a couple like swag and stuff, but there's no ads on there. You don't have to click through things. Um, it's all basically for free. So, you know, as far as like the haters of Matt out there say, well, you have some things to contend with because Matt has done good for the Bigfoot community. And again, I will say it. I'm happy to go on record. You give Matt a a couple uh, his sightings database and Google Earth and he will find you a Bigfoot. There's few people on the planet who do a better job than Matt does at that. For sure. And it was cool hearing Matt talk about what he's been focusing on, which is the drone surveillance technology, using drones, aerial drones, to hunt down Sasquatch. Yeah, or any nocturnal animal. 
Yeah, he was talking about that hog hunting video, which I had, funnily enough, had just seen like a day or two before. But man, he was all fired up on those hog hunting videos. Since this is kind of like a retrospective on 2020, what do you think was the best cast you saw from where? The best cast? Well, I, the best cast I saw were kind of twofold, honestly. Tom Shea sent me a photograph of a cast and, a, and the story that went along with it. He, he found it after a road crossing sighting he got wind of. But I don't have a copy of it yet, so I haven't seen the cast itself with, you know, with, with my own eyes in person. I've seen photographs of it, and it's very intriguing because it looks very much like uh, the early uh, Bluff Creek cast from 58 to 64-ish, you know, when, um, when that Bigfoot animal was walking around. The, the, the animal we call Bigfoot, you know, a big male, sort of 16 inches or so. Um, I have not seen that cast in person, but he sent me a photograph of it, and it, it looks very, very compelling. Um, and beyond that... God, there's a few others actually. Tom Shea sent me another one that another fantastic cast um, this past year. Um, there's also a, an intriguing juvenile cast from Iowa that was obtained. And if it is in fact a Sasquatch, and I, and I think it, it probably is, um, it's by far the clearest juvenile cast that I've seen. Um, I've shared it with Dr. Meldrum, of course, and um, he says that it's it's much wider than he thinks a human print of the same length should be. And of course, the context points pretty squarely to Sasquatch as well. So I think that those casts are the ones that um, have piqued my interest the most this past year, I would say. Although I'm, I'm sure that in a few moments when we're talking about something else, I'll remember another cast that I should have mentioned. But off the top of my head, that's what I have for you. And speaking of Tom Shea and the year in 2020 review, he's actually our Squatcher of the Year winner, Tom Shea for 2020. Yeah, but then again, we can say that about Tom Shea pretty much every year. Yeah. yeah and until something fantastic, you know, Patterson-Gimlin sort of style comes out, Tom will probably be in that top slot for as long as uh, we have this show, I'm sure. But maybe not. Hopefully, I'll be surprised. Nothing personal, Tom, if you're listening. But we'd love to have you bumped out by something even more amazing than what you seem to turn up. Yep, and Tom Shea's a squatcher of the year. But we also have Bigfoot of the year, 17 years running, Kip Morrill. Yeah, who else could it go to? I think that's a default as well. Yes, he's definitely the most humorous Bigfooter. <laughs> Cliff, was there any discoveries in anthropology or DNA breakthroughs that you'd say was the scientific discovery of 2020? Well, I do follow paleoanthropology pretty close, but you know, to me, the biggest like when, when you asked me that earlier before the show, I said, "Oh, you know what? That's got to be a Homo luzonensis." But that was they were discovered in 2019. There have been no huge uh, discoveries with things that are like Bigfooty like that I think uh, directly apply to Bigfoot this year. I mean, there's been DNA stuff. Yeah, okay, Denisovans and things like that. Uh, there's been DNA discoveries. Uh, just I know just this past week that an interesting thing happened where um, they've done DNA analyses on humans, Neanderthals, and Denisovans and found a super archaic commonality in them. So some other species that um, is even more archaic, even further back in time than uh, the three species that we don't know what they are. We don't, we don't know what the DNA is yet. Um, there, some people are speculating it could be Homo um, erectus. We're not sure yet because we don't have any Homo erectus DNA to compare it to. Uh, but there's something hidden in our DNA and Denisovans and Neanderthals um, that throws back even further. So that would be quite interesting um, but it'd be even more interesting to have Sasquatch DNA to compare it to. And unfortunately, at this point, we just don't have that. 
um, just another thing to look forward to after discovery, I suppose, right? I love scientific discoveries because it always backs up what I've been saying for years. Which is? Oh, that we have an archaic common ancestor that they haven't discovered yet, but now they have. So there you go. Thank you, science, for proving me right again. Right again. Yeah, you know, I remember when you first started wearing those T-shirts where we have an archaic, you know, and everybody looked at you funny, but now you've been redeemed. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, another candidate for Squatcher of the Year, even though we'd have to change the title, I guess, since he's not looking for exactly a Sasquatch, was one of our international guests, a guy you turned us on to, Cliff. Oh, Gareth Patterson, of course. Well, there's been a number of international folks. I'm thinking, who would deserve that? But you're absolutely right. Uh, Gareth Patterson, I think, is, in my opinion, um, Gareth Patterson is by far top three, probably, most significant events that happened this year. Now, of course, Gareth is a man. Um, Gareth Patterson is a world-renowned naturalist, researcher. He kind of cut his teeth um, working with that that guy who did the lions. Um, Remember back in the 70s, that movie Born Free? Born free, free where the wind blows. Apparently, you do remember. Very nice, Bobes. I hope everybody was singing along with that too. (laughs) Um, But yeah, he actually worked with that gentleman who I don't know his name, but he worked with that gentleman on lions for quite a while. But over the years, his career has taken him through different paths. And now he's studying elephants in South Africa. Um, He initially heard about a population of elephants, um, the very tip, the very Southern tip of South Africa, um, that this population was thought to have gone extinct. Um, down well, almost extinct, down to one old matriarch, one old female elephant. They thought that that's all that was left of this herd. So he started doing elephant research and tracking and DNA testing of the dung and all this other stuff. And he found, nope, not correct at all. There are a few dozen of these elephants cruising around in the woods and even the rangers didn't know about them. So, and so he started studying this population of elephants. Oh, how interesting. And along the way, he basically started seeing Sasquatches. Now, they're, they're not Sasquatches because that's a North American name. He called them Otangs. I guess that's the local name for them. Gareth Patterson seeing, and he's observed these things six or eight times. Gareth Patterson seeing these things is akin to Jane Goodall seeing Sasquatches. You know, like, that's the that's the caliber, caliber and quality of researcher Gareth Patterson is. And he's writing about it in his book, Beyond the Secret Elephants. Our conversation with him was riddled with technical difficulties because he came to us from South Africa. He was in South Africa um, in his cabin at the time. And we had troubles getting a hold of him because I think at the time there were like power outages and weather problems and his computer is fairly low quality. So we had a great deal of difficulty with the technology, but we finally got them. And even though it may not be the best sounding episode, it is jam packed full of amazing information. Gareth's episode is one of the top three I recommend for 2020 for uh, someone that's new to our show. Yeah. And his involvement in the subject is can't, cannot be, um, just like underestimated, like the potential of that, that he, that we have his ear, something cool happens there. We're going to hear about it and something cool happens here. It might affect what he's been learning out there. Right. And, you know, um, being in South Africa, I mean, my thoughts on this is that, okay, he's, he's probably dealing with some sort of Australopithecine, you know, some Paranthropus Australopithecine sort of thing, you know, because there's several species of those, um, historically known from South Africa. 
maybe it is Homo Nalidi or something like that, because that uh, the Rising Star Cave is, in fact, in South Africa as well. But I think it's probably some sort of um, Australopithecine. And if Australopithecines do, in fact, get seven feet tall, like the critters that um, Gareth Patterson has seen, well, that does something for the Bigfoot as well, because maybe Sasquatches are also Australopithecines or Paranthropists or something like that. Um, and even though all of our fossil evidence of these animals um, are four to five feet tall about, well, if Gareth is uh, seeing Australopithecines being seven feet tall, that says something about the possibility that Sasquatches are, in fact, some sort of relic form of Paranthropists that just got bigger over time. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I mean, that's that's the logical conclusions you draw if that is the case. Yeah, and of course that was the T-shirt I made earlier in the year. As well. <laughs> I got a I got a cut off sleeve uh, muscle tee of that one. <laughs> yeah. So uh, beyond that, beyond uh, Gareth's involvement, um, what are your thoughts, Bob? So like, what's something that stands out to you more than anything else about 2020 besides just the suckiness of the year? Well, this is in regards particularly to our show, Bigfoot and Beyond. Um, it had to be the most downloaded and shared episode of the year, and which is hands down our best eyewitness guest, was Sarah from the Marble Mountains. Yeah, yeah. She really resonated with our audience. I mean, and it's no, no, no wonder why. Her firsthand account, her credentials, her descriptive ability – really put our listeners in the place where she was at that time. I, oh, dude. I, yeah. Even her talking about it, I could almost see the Sasquatch as she describes it. There was a lot of butts puckered in that, in that audience that night. I mean, she brought you to that moment. You were laying in that sleeping bag, freaking out with your heart exploding through your chest, looking at this thing, run up, you know, run up that in the moonlight. Yeah. Yeah. And the sounds, it oh. just went on for so long. Our podcast is, isn't angled exactly towards witnesses all the time. You know, um, uh, Wes does a great job at that. You know, we're, we're kind of talking to the researchers. We're talking about our own stuff. But, man, when we get a witness like Sarah, uh, we got to talk to her. She's, she was absolutely fantastic. And, of course, the audience loves it as well. Oh, yeah. And now that, that whole area, the Marble Mountain area, that's, that's your neck of the woods, Bob. So have you done much stuff up in there? No, not really. Um, I mean, I have, but not compared to, it's just, you know, that extra hour and a half drive to our drive when you're, you know, where it usually goes two, two and a half hours. Then when you make it four, four and a half, it's a, you know, it's just a whole nother level. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you know anybody that works it out there? There's a huge wilderness area there. So it's just backpacking only. So unless you're going to strap on a pack or get on a horse, a lot of that area is inaccessible. Um, so what else stands out in 2020 for you, Bobo? Uh, one of the things that stood out for me in 2020 was with just all the bad news coming down and economic hardships and people being sick Hearing Doug Highcheck, you know, getting Doug on the show was awesome. He's the former producer of monster quest on the history channel. We had him on and hearing what he had going and what he's been working on really got me fired up for right now and the future coming up for 2021. I mean, he's, he's got the wheels rolling and to get the insight of what he's got going on, that got me excited. Now you and Doug have a long relationship. You've known him for years, right? Yeah. Yeah. I first started with him on uh, mysterious encounters with moneymaker and autumn Williams in 2003. Wow. That's a long time ago. Now you've done uh, I know you did monster quest cause I was there for one of them, but you did a couple episodes of monster quest. Didn't you? Yeah, I think I was on camera for three of them and then off camera. For, 
uh, I'm not sure if I was on camera on all of them. Then I, I did a couple other ones where I was working uh, on, off camera, you know, just being a production assistant, whatever, local local manager, whatever they call it. Yeah, you were doing like fixer stuff, or weren't you? Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah, doing fixer stuff. Did it. Um, yeah, helped out on a couple of those. And then he, we were talking about doing a project together for years and years, and it just never got off the ground. And then when I really started talking to him serious about it again, when Monster Quest ended, and he was looking for another gig. Him and I were going over all kinds of uh, options because History Channel wanted to do something. But then the Finding Bigfoot thing started rolling, and it was like, "Well, God, we got Moneymaker and Cliff on board. Like, I'm not going to beat that." So I just like dropped everything else and focused on that. Yeah, well, that turned out to be a wise decision, I think. Yeah, he's the man, and I just actually got a uh, email today from Dave Ellis because we put Dave Ellis in touch with Doug. And Dave's really working hand in hand with Doug with international scientists from all over the world that are doing a behind the scenes joint investigation where they're compiling all this data. And it's, it's, uh, it's scientists. It's not really squatchers like us. You know, there's a few guys like Dave in there that without, you know, Doug doesn't have any scientific credentials, even though he's, you know, bright guy who's invented stuff and discovered things published things in journal articles or journals. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's well-respected as is Dave Ellis. Dave Ellis, you know, he's, he's an engineer by trade, which is great for analyzing sound with the sound analyzations. It's just a lot of time. I mean, it's just thousands of hours of listening and looking at the graphs, what you're seeing. Yeah. Yeah. That's why Dave, who was also a great guest this past year on our show. Yeah. Yeah, that that's his superpower right there. Like he does, he loves audio, and you gotta love audio to be into audio. Like I, I think it's cool. You know, I always run a recorder when I'm out squatching or whatever, but I'm not into it like Dave is. You know, I, I'm into footprints and casts and things like that. To me, that that resonates really, really nicely. But for Dave, man, it's like no, nah, I, I just want to listen to stuff. It's like man, more more power to you. Because I just don't have the the maybe patience or focus or I just don't care as much as he does. And I'm glad somebody does. Yeah, because uh, we need people like Dave out there. Oh, it's it's the unsung heroes that move this whole field forward. I mean, like, I mean, for Bigfoot stuff, I'm way more known than Dave Ellis, but he's way more important. <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. And, 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 you know, that's the whole thing about being a Bigfooter. You know, I don't, I know that you probably get this kind of stuff too all the time, Bobo. People send you, you know, everything, hair and audio and footprint photographs and maybe a cast and, and, uh, DNA ideas and films and photographs and blob squatch. You just, they, they just throw everything at you and expect you to know everything about all those different, you know, kinds of evidence. Right. It's, it's just, just not even possible. It's just not even possible, you know? And, um, you know, you see, you show me a footprint. I can tell you something about it, you know, a footprint cast or a hand cast or something, but like audio, so I don't know. I, I, the best I can do is like, well, it sounds like coyotes to me. Right. You know? But Dave has so much more information than that. And it was, that's one of the joys of talking to him, especially in the program here, kind of sharing his knowledge with, with the world in some way. Yeah, because you can be very experienced. And it is, especially when you're hearing it with your own ears, it's easier to tell. But when you're hearing a recording, I mean, to, to judge between uh, like those big adult, really large male coyotes, they can hit those notes and tones that you wouldn't associate with a coyote, but it, it is a coyote. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, it's kind of like uh, I was thinking the other day, audio is a lot like, um, say, a footprint or something. Because I, I, if you sometimes the footprint photograph shows you more information than the cast does. And sometimes the cast shows you more than the footprint photograph does. Um, and it's kind of like that with audio. You kind of have to be there and get the recording. If, and if you're missing one of those two, you're, you're like, you know, driving at night with one eye covered. It just doesn't do, it's, it's just not as informative, I guess, you know, because there's been a couple of times I could have sworn I was listening to a Sasquatch. And then when I get back and listen to the recording, I go, oh, that's a deer huffing. That's not Knox. Right. I, t- I totally misheard it, you know. Um, and you got to have, I really think, I, I feel at least that without being there and then going over the recording later, you're just missing some information, you know. A lot of information. Yeah, yeah. That's just my gut feeling on it, though. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. Sonidos of our music. Sonidos of our voices. Sonidos of our stories. Listen to the sounds and voices of Latin music and culture with Pandora stations like RMX, La Vida en Pop, El Pulso, and Satellites and podcasts like Ruby Rosa and more. From music to stories, all that we are is in the sonidos of our culture. Listen now on Pandora. We didn't have a whole lot. We got more coming up, but we did have some international guests on this year. We had like Ray from Australia, episode 61. Mm-hmm. That was pretty cool. We had Then we had my buddy, little Daddy Roth, from uh, his eyewitness report from Germany, uh, Europe. Yeah, yeah. I mentioned that I spoke to a witness who saw one in Germany, in Eastern Germany, and I get a lot of like sidelong glances like, what? I don't know. I've been, what's, what is so unbelievable about that? I don't understand. I've never been there, so I can't say I've never been around Germany, the forest there and stuff, but I've looked a lot on Google Earth. Mm -hmm. And real small, I mean, and these, we don't think these are North American Sasquatches. These sound more like relic hominins. Yeah, there's something, you know, that maybe they're the Neanderthals, maybe they're Denisovans, maybe there's something else, but, um, and maybe they're Bigfoots. I don't know. Don't, without any physical evidence, it's really hard to say much about it, really. Yeah. I mean, I have some casts from Eastern Europe. Um, I've got a cast that, uh, um, from, I think, Georgia, the, the, the caucus. I'm not sure where, but, uh, I have to double check, but it, it corresponds very nicely, actually, to Neanderthal footprints. Because we we have we have Neanderthal footprints, um, they've been found uh, um, in caves, you know, undisturbed right. by wind and water erosion, basically. So we have those, and and this cast um, of, of a supposed Almasty uh, corresponds very nicely to the Neanderthal. So that's kind of encouraging. Um, but without what, how, cast for, for the for the like surface like square centimeters of the surface area of the foot, how does say like the width to width? I mean, width to length ratio of a Neanderthal, does it fall in between Sasquatch and Homo sapiens sapien? Yeah, yeah. They're about the same length as Homo sapiens, uh, but a little wider, a little wider, and the arches are lower as well than Homo sapiens. So it is between like us and a Sasquatch, the Neanderthal. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah, that's one way to look at it, one way to say it at least. Um, They're they're just a little bit wider and more robust. And what single ball, I'm sure. 
Yeah, 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 something like that. Yeah, because of that double ball feature that um, is seen in some Sasquatch prints, mostly the Bluff Creek ones, by the way, it can be a little problematic because we know that Ray uh, Ray Wallace was carving those into his fake stompers pretty prominently. So I always look twice at those, but it's also um, anatomically correct because that's where I believe the phalanges attach to the metatarsals, if I remember right. The toe bones uh, connect to the the first proper bones in the foot, you know. And um, if, if there's a fat pad there, like what, what we think for, on the bottom of the foot of the Sasquatch, a nice, thick, robust fat pad, um, when their foot bends at that place, um, it'd be kind of like, you know, like, like, like starting to close your fingers over your thumb, you know, and you can see the crease appear in the middle of your palmar surface. Um, and so there's some speculation, uh, some idea about maybe that's what causes that double ball feature on the inside of the foot at the ball area of the Sasquatch print, in at least some of these casts. But it's not a very widely dispersed feature either. So there's some doubt about it being there at all, because I don't see that stuff in, say, the prints from Oklahoma or somewhere like that. Right. So, and it's an interesting topic, you know. Yeah, for sure. Now, for me, one of the standout things, uh, one of the standout items of 2020, and, and it's so confusing to me, it's, it's largely overlooked by the Bigfoot community, and, and I, I, I can see why, I guess, thinking about it, is the Sierra footage. Oh, yeah. I, why, why isn't the Sierra footage a much larger deal than it is? I think it's probably the most significant thing that happened this year because everybody wants footage. Everybody, everybody's got thermals like us running around trying to get pictures of these things and no one does. And when somebody does get um, thermal footage and extended thermal footage, um, no one's talking about it. And it's, it might be because um, the BFRO hasn't really put that out for public consumption yet. Um, but man, it is, I think it's good footage and it's not going to prove anything, but you know, Kudos to them, man. Like the, the, the BFRO and the group that got these things, um, they had one of the best expeditions I think any Bigfoot group has ever had, ever. Daylight sightings and footprint casts, which I still have yet to see you thinking about it, and video on top of it. It's just ridiculous. It's off the charts. Yeah. Um, that was our winner for video photo of the year was the Sierra's footage. And that was our episode 70. We had those guys on, giving their account of that. I think one of the reasons that it didn't get bigger news and all that was because it was during the height of the wildfires and they couldn't go back and do the measurement uh, size comparisons because of the fires. Well, you know, that's kind of on, on this coming summer. I've got a lot to look forward to. And we'll talk about that towards the end of the podcast here. But uh, I do want to make it down there because, uh, yeah, yeah, if the Bigfoots aren't being shy about people around there, uh, we definitely need to go down there and see if we can film these things. Right, right. Yeah, well, if you go down there, let me know, man. I'll definitely cruise over there. Mm-hmm. Now, um, as far as on-site investigations um, overlapping with our podcast here, Bubs, a couple of cool things happened this year. Um, and the, the, the one that really blew my mind was the new nests with Shane Corson. Oh, the yeah. Project. Yeah, I forget. You know, it's, it's December right now. I mean, it's the very tail end of December. And it's like, it's hard for me to remember what happened in what month. I mean, my sense of time is just so elastic. Um, I just turned 50 and like, I'm looking back and like, I don't know when anything happened. I don't know. You know, my my memory's getting worse all the time, but that, that was in February of this past year. So that's a 2020 item as well. When Shane and, uh, and Todd ran across something apparently in the middle of making these nests. That's such a significant find those, the Olympic projects, 
nest site is such a it's such that's another thing that should be a much bigger deal than it is yeah 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 and um having been there and seeing the seeing the the half finished nest in person was really amazing um uh, shane and i were there and, and todd was with us too thinking about it so all three of us were down there i was down there for two days um, collecting specimens and cutting off branches that were broken, digging through it, looking for hair. Um, we collected the nest uh, material itself um, at the end of the, those two days. And, and, and the one day I think Todd went back later, Todd Hale, let's see, uh, I have to double check with him, but I think between all three of us, we found and cast one, two, three, four, five, six or seven footprints from that site. And by the way, and I'll take that back. Five or four or five footprints and two handprints. Wow. Yeah. So th- there is something going on there. And you can say it's a bear den. And it probably was a bear den being repurposed by a Sasquatch in this case. And th- we did retrieve bear hair out of the bear den. So that makes sense. Um, but there's no way bears are reaching seven feet off the ground to, to break branches and leaving hair up there. Um, and there's no way that bears were leaving that handprint and the footprints. <laughs> yeah, I'd say the handprint rules out bear. Yeah, maybe it was a bear in a human suit. <laughs> Could be. Yeah, maybe the skeptics will go that direction now. <laughs> skeptics have a lot of explaining to do. So yeah, quick. We started off Bigfoot Beyond 2020 with Moneymaker. Then we, I mean, the list of guests we had is just amazing. Then we had John Kirk, who came in and straightened us out on Sasquatch history. Then what he knows about lake monsters. Yeah, and John Kirk's is so good for a couple reasons. If you haven't listened to John Kirk's episode with us, you got to because it deflates the Albert Osman story. And yeah. I think that's a really important lesson for Bigfooters today, especially the rare few Bigfooters that are interested in Bigfoot history. Looking back at some of the, the greats, you know, the Four Horsemen, for example, or these these traditional stories and like the, the, you know, the classics are called, you know, Ape Canyon, Albert Osman, all those stories. You, you have to look at these stories and the people. Wearing your skepticals, as Ray Crow would say, um, because, yeah, Albert Austin, maybe that story didn't happen. Maybe he's not telling the truth. We don't know. But the, the people who came before us on, on whose shoulders we stand, they are not infallible. They have made mistakes as well. Um, some of those people make mistakes and roll with it pretty well. And some of it, it turns them so everything's BS until I, they, they think so otherwise, you know, guilty until proven innocent sort of thing. Um, and I think it's important to look at these historical sightings and, and the people in the early Bigfoot history. They all made significant contributions. I'm not arguing that at all. But just because they were there first does not mean that they knew everything that they were talking about. And I think that the individuals would agree with me Um, off the top of my head. For example, I think that the four horsemen, um, even Krantz, um, none of the four horsemen, if you don't know, um, are they, Renee DeHinden, John Green, Grover Krantz, and Peter Burr. Those are the four horsemen of squatchery as they're called. Um, But they didn't know as much about footprints as we know today. They didn't know about the, the flexibility of the mid-tarsal um, joints, although Krantz wrote things that he was onto it. He just didn't have the words for it yet. He said there's a, a, a significant amount of flexibility in the mid part of the foot, um, but he didn't define it like Dr. Meldrum later did with uh, Dr. Meldrum's expertise in primate foot anatomy, 
you know, Dr. Krantz had an expert had expertise in other areas, not specifically the primate foot like Jeff does. Um, so yeah, th- these early researchers um, did great, groundbreaking, fantastic work. But this is not some sort of fundamentalist religion in that they said it, therefore that settles it. And I think that that's something that uh, modern Bigfooters have to contend with. Um, that, uh, they just didn't know as much as we know now. And we know as much as we know now, thanks to them, like because of them, but we're building on their knowledge. They didn't have the encyclopedia written yet, nor do we, but we're, we were building on the foundations that they set out for us. So of course they got a lot of things wrong, just like our generation of Bigfooters will get lots of things wrong and be built upon by those in the future. And I think that um, John Kirk's um, uh, episode with us kind of really drives that home well, that like, yeah, maybe that Albert O thing isn't factually accurate, you know? Yeah, because we had, you and I did episode 42, the Ballad of Albert O, and then the next episode, 43, we had John Kirk on, and he straight us out on that. Then the following week, had another luminary in the Bigfoot world, getting down with Stacey Brown, episode 44. I mean, Stacey Brown, what can you say? He is responsible. He wasn't holding the camera, but he's got the cameraman there, his dad, for the best thermal footage we've gotten of Bigfoot. Yeah. And you know, have you seen his, his documentary, Skunk Ape, Skunk, ah, The Skunk Ape Lives? Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty good, right? I like all the behind the scenes stuff. I didn't, I wasn't aware that that footage existed. I didn't know that Stacey Brown was filming his father as his father was filming the Sasquatch. I knew it, but I hadn't seen it before. Yeah. That was a great. I thought Stacy did a really good job on that documentary. Yeah, yeah, his filmmaking work is good. It's, it's high quality stuff, and and I really enjoyed it because I'm pretty uh, intimately familiar with that the, with the footage. You know, Stacy and his father got the footage, and um, months later they uh, reached out to me for an analysis of it because they didn't know what else to do with it. And so um, between his visits to the site and then our own visit to the site when we we're we we're filming Finding Bigfoot. Um, I got uh, enough numbers to determine the, the approximate size of that figure. And it's outside of human range. Well, the very smallest possible. It could be inside human range, like just under seven feet. But that's unlikely, I think, especially with the um, arms and leg ratios and all that jazz. But yeah, um, to see the behind the scenes footage that Stacey was filming in the context of that night was really cool. So I, I can't recommend that, that DVD enough. Um, the Skunk Ape Lives, Stacy Brown. So check that out if you guys can, listeners. Yeah, we were talking about doing a Bigfoot movie video of the year. But, I mean, there's so many I haven't seen. I'd feel guilty, like, you know, giving an award for that without really having anything to go off on it. Yeah, I don't like the question, like, who's number one? I don't like, what's your favorite? I don't, I really just don't like questions like that because um, it singles out one at the cost of all the other good stuff out there. Right. You know, and, and with Seth Breedlove pumping out films every three or four months and other people g- doing great work like Stacey's documentary um, or Big Fur, you know, that was another great episode. Yeah. Um, like it's hard to single one thing out when there's so many good things. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. Then we followed that up with episode 56 with Dennis Full. Yeah, so Dennis was out there with that Erickson project there in Kentucky in the early 2000s, which was, that's like a legendary, not 
much is known about to the public. I mean, we knew stuff behind the scenes, but that was the first big interview Dennis did where he went into detail on the stuff. And man, people went crazy for that. Yeah, because the the Ericsson project has been shrouded in mystery, you know, and there's some there's very likely some fakes involved with it, and there's some real stuff involved with it, and it's just good to hear um, from someone who knows all this stuff firsthand because he was there, and it's also fair to say, I mean, more than fair to say that um, uh, the Ericsson project is just a chapter in Dennis's bigfooting history. It's not the focus. I mean, Dennis, he, he supplied me with some other handprint evidence in the past. Um, he's cast footprints. He's done a bunch of stuff in New Mexico and Colorado. And the, the, the guy gets around. But he, you know, for us, the main focus was, of course, on the Ericsson project, because so little is publicly known about that project. Yeah, that was great. Well, Bobo, something that we haven't mentioned so far that I think deserves at least a mention is the fact that Ken Walker, uh, world championship taxidermist, is convinced that Sasquatches are real, made a model, and then, of course, had a documentary made about his making of the model by a guy named Dan Wayne. The film itself is called Big Fur. We interviewed uh, those gentlemen on the podcast. And, and again, you know, Ken Walker world-renowned championship taxidermist who deals with hunters and outdoors people all the time is completely convinced Sasquatches are real. That, that d- at least deserves an honorable mention there. Oh, yeah, dude. I mean, and speaking of, I mean, this is a look back at 2020, but looking forward to 2021, the place I'm most excited to go is Ken has invited me. Uh, I got a rich buddy that's going to spring for... Uh, can it take us out to the, those locations to actually go squatching for like a week? Oh, no kidding. Yeah. So that, that's my number one thing for 2021 because the Sasquatch have moved from where they were, where um, other people had found them. They're in a different valley, like kind of near the general vicinity, but not, it's miles away. So he's going to take us there. Very interesting. Very interesting. What else, what else are you hoping for, for 21? Cause frankly, at this point, I'm kind of done with 2020. Let's put this thing to bed. Let's, let's, let's take it out in the backyard, shoot it and bury it. Oh dude, I'm, I'll do worse than just shoot it. Well, I need some revenge. Yeah. Slow torturous death for 2020. I'm not going to take it out back and shoot it. I'm going to draw it out a little bit. Make it suffer. Like yeah, it like it, suffer. yeah. Like it did to me. But yeah, right. I mean, I'm looking forward to getting up there in the, uh, Canada when that border opens up again. And um, yeah, I'm just this last year was such a, you know, just sitting around so much and not getting out like I wanted to. I'm just looking forward to, you know, getting back up in Washington, Oregon, Canada. And then when we go back, uh, some conferences, try to line up some squatching, you know, spend some extra time at the locations like Tennessee, Kentucky, those zones out there. Yeah, it's one of the things I've missed most about um, this this past year is not being able to do the conferences because those were the opportunities to see my friends and contact other researchers and see what they're up to and see what evidence they've been pulling. It really does serve a um, a, a networking role um, that I didn't really realize I missed until I didn't have it. You know, something I guess I took for granted. Yeah, it's one of those things like you bitch about it when you got to do it, but then when you don't got it, you're like, that oh, wasn't so bad. Exactly. Exactly. It was a few places. Uh, well, th- this past year, I, I just was working my butt off all year to make sure that my business survived um, between shutting down for three months because of COVID in the spring um, or, or shutting down for two weeks because of the fires in the fall or just the, 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 
the, the decreased traffic and the lack of tourism in general. I mean, my business has survived. The North American Bigfoot Center isn't going anywhere. We've survived. And gosh, if we can survive this year, I think we're going to thrive every other. But I, I w- I'm looking forward to getting some sort of normalcy in the tourism industry just to get people through the door. Um, so I don't have to stress and worry and, and lay up all hours at the night trying to figure out how to make it happen, you know? Right. Uh, yeah, and, of course, the Bigfoot community is why I survived it all. Um, everybody pulling together for a common cause and just expressing kindness, you know, whether it was uh, people buying things from the online store or becoming a member of the museum, um, a subscription, a, a sort of membership thing. Like, I, I only survived because of the kindness and love in the Bigfoot community. So I'm looking forward to um, trying to give a little bit of that back, I guess, this coming year. So I, well, I'm not frantic and stressed out and losing sleep all the time where I can just kind of cruise a little bit. But as far as Bigfoot research goes, um, this past year of being open at the North American Bigfoot Center, um, uh, Connor and I have been uh, collecting data. And we have a couple zones that are generally not very well known where Bigfoot reports happen with some frequency. Um, There's several clusters that we've identified um, that aren't really known to the Bigfooters out there. So um, I'm hoping to work a lot of the local areas um, this year and try to get some good physical evidence out of these spots like footprint tracks. Because if Tom Shea can do it, I mean, I'm not as good a tracker as Tom and I, don't, I doubt I ever will be. But spending more time out there in the woods sure would help, you know, yeah. and spots are close. I mean, if I leave the shop right now, I could be on site in 45 minutes. So uh, there's great locations that have come to light just this past year as weird as it was this past year kind of showed me those spots. Um, but on top of that and conferences, you know, I, I'd really like to get down to bluff Creek again, Bubs. I haven't been there for like two or three years, I think. Yeah, let's do it. I just was out there right before the last, uh, first snowfall came. I got out there for a day and yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's there. It's still sitting there. I mean, it gets a lot more visitors now, but it's still, you know, bluff Creek. I, I was able to spend the day out there naked, skinny dipping at the swimming hole nice nice yeah. well, i'm surprised really i figured louse camp would be overrun with people uh there's people there a lot but you can still you, know, you can still get a, a day or two night out there without anyone else there yeah well, i'd like to get out there again just for old time's sake because i've been working you know bluff creek since 94 yeah so much to do and that's not even talking about the museum holy smokes i could spend a month in the museum and still have unfinished things so right Lot to look forward to. The, the, the scary thing is that 2021 could actually be worse than 2020. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, let's hope it's not, you know. And this is this actually is our first podcast of the new year. So maybe this will get it off on the right foot. I hope so, for sure. Yeah, so there's a lot to look forward to in 2021. And, uh, you know, looking back at 2020, it wasn't the best year. A lot of t- tumultuous stuff happened. It was a rocky year, to say the least. Well, we survived and Bigfooting is moving forward. And who knows, man, maybe this is discovery year. Maybe this is a year where you pull like 14 prints in a row out there at Bluff Creek somewhere. Maybe this is the year that we get, we finally get uh, more thermal footage or daylight footage. Who knows what this year has in store for us, but hopefully it's good. I mean, I, I'm, I'm very optimistic. I'm an optimist in general. Um, in fact, I'm naive and, and an optimist, <laughs> so it works really well for me. Um, but maybe this year something fantastic will finally surface. It'll push the subject further forward um, in a direction it needs to go. And being the most pessimistic optimist you'll know, I agree with you wholeheartedly. 
Pessimistic optimist. You're indeed an oxymoron. Thank you. Wait, who are you calling now? <laughs> All right, Bob. So I think with that, you can take us home. Okay, Cliff. Well, that wraps up 2020, and we're looking forward to a better 2021, hopefully. And uh, all our listeners, thanks for tuning in. We appreciate the support. Hit like, share, turn us on to some people you know, and we'd appreciate it. All right. Keep it squatchy. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond. 